0: Why is it so hard for HOAs to be healthy and to stay healthy? And it's amazing, it doesn't take a lot for things to go south pretty fast, right? You get one new owner in who's like, well, I didn't know I couldn't have my dog on the roof and they get mad. And like, it really can create some really bad vibes really quickly, right? And that's where our heart is. But if we're going to raise, you have to focus, 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 focus. And HOAs are complicated. There's lots of entities. There's board members, there's owners, there's buyers, there's sellers, there's real estate agents, there's property managers. But we have to pull on only one thread. I'm Laura Butler, the co-founder and CTO of Uplift Group.
1: This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry. And build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Laura Butler decided to surface HOA info for buyers, owners, and boards. All this and more on Code Story. For Laura Butler, tech has always been woven into her life. She left Harvard to go work full-time at Microsoft because she was having the time of her life as an intern. She went on to spend 20 years at the company, working on many different big-name projects. To her, tech is solving problems for people by people, and everything boils down to tech. She's drawn to getting her hands on things, breaking them, and then fixing them again. She is a self-proclaimed professional contrarian, intentional rebel, and successful misfit. She loves to read about people, history, and logistics, and specifically what works and what doesn't. She likes to run and walk, which is her yoga and helps to clear her brain. And she's a cat mom right now, but loves all animals and enjoys collecting art when she travels. She's been an angel investor multiple times, supporting startups and small businesses across a different variety of industries. When she decided to simplify her life and sell her house, Laura went through the process of buying a condo and interacting with the HOA, She realized that the process was a bit arcane and getting the details up front was near impossible. Her and her co-founder, who happens to also be her mother, set out to bring value to the buyers in the process with the goal to eventually, positively impact all stakeholders. This is the creation story of the Uplift Group.
0: So what Uplift Group is? Well, we're building the Carfax of condos. You know, it turns out that buying a home, like a unit, a condo, a townhouse, or a, a standalone house in a homeowner's association is more risky and complicated than buying a completely standalone house. You are not just buying property, you're buying a membership in a corporation, and you have obligations and restrictions and less control. But internals about HOAs are hard to come by. You actually have to make an offer before you get access to like the meeting minutes, the budgets, and so on and then you have a really short time you know you've made an offer you're in a contingency period to read through hundreds sometimes thousands of pages of documents in addition to all the other stuff you're doing when you're buying right like i don't know planning a move getting loan right and you have to understand it. it's really arcane what's UCOIA? what's a level three reserve study what's h06 okay and then to back out before you lose your earnest money or you you know you just realize you need to negotiate a credit so it's really stressful and the consequences you know like unpleasant surprise you find out you can't keep your your dog because they have a 50 pound weight restriction sorry St. Bernard who's been your loyal best friend you know or there's an age restriction you can't actually have your teenage kids with you because it's a retirement oriented community so so that's what we're really trying to bring transparency to this we want to get you know accessible information I mean accessible in all senses of the word affordable Understandable, high quality, though. So, like, accessible and high quality information about homeowners associations. We say Carfax for condos. HOA just isn't a term that rolls off the tongue as well. Happy if your listeners have ideas, please, like Glassdoor of HOAs. Um, so, that's the, the scoop. Like, you shouldn't have to make an offer to know what you're getting yourself into, but once you have made an offer, like, you should, it shouldn't be like some arcane, weird sorcery. We created the name before we knew what we were going to do. And you know, any name sounds funny after the fact, like Microsoft or Google, it doesn't really have any meaning. We wanted it to kind of get to our values, which is that we want to uplift a situation and people. If we're just a tax on value or money flowing back and forth, or it's a zero sum situation, then that's not really a great business in my opinion. So I created the name. I had a house um, just north of the Space Needle, very kind of Fraser-like view. And I bought this in the late nineties and I owned it for over 20 years. And what let me have a house is I mean, I'm a busy professional, right? I have a job. I'm very far away from where I live, on the other side of the lake. I can never be home. And if you own a home, right? It's like, can someone be there from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. for the furnace guy? I love the idea of it, but it stopped kind of bringing me joy. So I'm like, okay, I want simplicity. Condo's supposed to be easier, right? That's the whole thing. You don't have to worry about a roof. Um, you have security, usually pretty walkable, um, and just lower maintenance. And so what I found out is that that's true, but that the HOA comes into play. Like things like, oh, you can't just use the elevator to move in when you feel like it. I had no, I didn't even know what I didn't know. And fortunately, my co-founder, Carol Butler, is also my mom. She served in every board position in a whole hecka, hella lot of condos across multiple states. She is like literally an expert. And she's like, well, did you ask about this? And then what is the funding plan? I'm like, I don't know. So she actually, I almost made an off, you know, because you fall in love with the, the, the space, right? Like you picture your life. You're like, oh, look at these tall ceilings. It's going to be so cool. I'm going to be near like grunge music central. I'm going to be a hipster. But what I didn't know was that this particular, the first place I almost bought, was just about to have a really big special assessment because they need to replace the windows. And secondly, they're in something called the LID, a local improvement district in Seattle, which is a one-time, think of it as a one-time extra property tax payment. So if you really love the place and it's an investment and, you know, and you can afford it, that's fine. But I was like, wait, what is wait a second. And, like, I might even be able to live in my unit while they're, like, replacing the windows. That doesn't sound convenient at all. So that's really the genesis of Uplift Group. The condos, you know, condos, townhomes, it's supposed to be easier. But there's a bunch of things that make them a lot harder. So that's how we kind of rolled into the idea. It was that or it was going to be, like, cat robot toys,
1: Well, tell me about the MVP. So the first product you built in the Uplift group, how long did it take you to build and what sort of tools you used to bring it to life?
0: We sort of established ourselves in January of 2020 and we you know, tried to follow all the best practices. We did customer discovery and we talked to people. And our original plan was we were gonna produce a preventative maintenance package, okay? And that a whole building could kind of sign up for. And you know, the thing about maintenance, is people don't tend to do preventative maintenance in general because it's hard. And just even getting someone to come out, even in a house, is complicated, right? You've got to kind of schedule it. Okay, and when you live in a condo, well, there's access issues. You have usually a front door as well as they have to get into your unit. They have less space. And if you're in an urban area, like parking and driving are extra expensive, right? So it's really a pain all around. And you're a busy condo owner, you're not there. And with preventative maintenance, it doesn't really matter like at any particular hour or even day when something happens, right? Um, it's just that it gets done. Like your batteries get changed and your carbon monoxide detector two times a year, you get your dryer vents cleaned. Okay, so we're going to try to do that and then just make it really easy, particularly for smaller um, homeowners associations who just don't get access to top tier services in all kinds of ways because they're not worth it, right? Um, and then COVID happened. and. That would have been a hard road, a hard path up Mount Everest anyway, for a whole lot of reasons. We got to talk to some folks that, like, at Handy.com. Maintenance is just, there's a lot of com- competition. It's very fragmented. It's very okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then everything stopped. So then we're like, yeah, well, maybe we should tackle this problem. Like why are HOAs, why is it so hard to have happy owners and healthy HOAs? Right? Let's help boards especially boards of smaller HOAs that we just said, don't get top tier um, access to support and services. Um, And what's out there is usually not affordable, is not very affordable from their point of view, right? So let's get them good advice. So that was the, really the first product. Our very first paying customer was um, a homeowners association that um, was just having challenges trying to get a construction project done and really just wanted, we called it condo clinic. Someone to come in and just like, almost do like an audit, but of everything. Like, run, run them through a battery of tests, look at all their information, their contracts, and give them recommendations on how they could be healthier. And a neutral party. Because, you know, property management and community managers who are the assigned human to a homeowner's association are good people and well-intentioned, but they're not neutral, right? Um, also, turns out that boards that don't trust their property manager don't trust their property manager, right? It isn't always the property manager's fault. Well, what we learned was there's definitely demand for that product. It is a huge amount of work, huge. I mean, you're talking like five, 10 years of records of all kinds of a homeowner's association, okay? Second, you have turnover. Boards are volunteer owners. They come and go, they get busy. They have three other higher priority jobs, right? Um, so even just that stuff, you take a lot of hand holding and interaction um, and by the time they come to us or would find us, there's just a lot of drama and conflict already going on, right? So, it, and it's not very scalable. It's not clear to see how that could scale. There's lots of like property management software solutions. We haven't seen a single HOA, maybe one out of a hundred, where software would actually materially improve their situation. Like it's it's deeper than that. So we're like, okay, this is like the worst of enterprise sales <laughs> combined with like the worst of being a divorce therapist. So um, like, what can we do? And then one of the real estate agents we had had interviewed said, well, you know, like it's really a pain on the buy side. I don't have the time. There's liability people just, and it, this is an increasing trend, like too, too lazy, don't read too busy. I can't understand why I can't just search on this stuff, like reviewing documents for buyers. And so, our very first customer there was the end of August of 2020. And this person was a real estate attorney. Okay, first paying customer for a resale review, which is reviewing all the material you get about an HOA when you go to buy. Okay. Um, Said, I don't have the time, I don't have the expertise. And this seems more complicated than the entire like Seattle, South Lake Union development that Vulcan did, which is like a billion dollar real estate deal. (laughs) It's like it's more, more pages um and then this person was our first repeat customer as well. So we're like, wow, we're onto something. If a real estate attorney says, "Doesn't have the time, the expertise and is frustrated." Like it only goes down from there. Okay. So our MVP is is really um the output is a PDF. Okay? We're producing a report. And then we let we also add on to it with, "Hey, we'll answer your questions, we'll look at extra info, we'll meet with you." Because there's something, I think that's one learning we've had, is that, I mean, this is the biggest financial transaction most people will ever be involved in. And it's not just an investment, it's also your nest, it's your home. So you've got emotion and money, right? Um, and then style coming in. So it's like peak need, peak stress. But that also means that like you can't robot it away. Like, sometimes people just want, the, knowing that it's a human being that you can, is there, even if you never lean on that human being, provides peace of mind to people. And sometimes when we even meet them online to answer their questions, they're really not getting any new info. It's sort of the reassurance of like, hey. And not that we tell them to buy or not buy, um, but we're like, hey, here's how to think about um, the budget. Here's how to think about your dues. Here, Here's what, here's how to think about insurance, kind of.
1: So in that in that first MVP, you, you're you're pumping out a PDF and, and you're giving reassurance to the end users. How did you go about thinking through what that first product should be? Um, you know, you mentioned some things around some of the uh, you know, older software or, or enterprise software problems, right? Uh, there's some you know some some data things there, but how did you go through making the decisions and trade-offs and how you built the product and how did you cope with them?
0: Backing up when we had started trying to do this condo clinic thing, and we were trying to figure out how do you even, like how do you build kind of a mathematical model that's simple, <laughs> I'm a mathematician, where you can categorize things. And we kind of came up with really operations of a homeowner's associates, really just three, there's just three things. There's finance, there's governance, and there's maintenance. And they're all connected. The finance is kind of like the circulation system, right? Like if you have, if, you, if a human being is sick, you see it in the pulse in the heart, and the blood pressure, even if that's not the cause of the problem, right? Um, and then governance, you know, covers everything from how does, you know, who's on the board, how does the board run the place, what are the restrictions that, you know, how how do things work? And then maintenance. And so it took us a while of just sort of getting our worldview. So when we went to do our first resale review for an individual, we took that same format. Okay, it's finance, governance, and maintenance. But then, what should we leave out, right? and like, how much of it is summary, how much of it is analysis. There's some things that are just key points that aren't necessarily good or bad, but someone should know. Like, hey, you can't rent this place until you've owned it for 12 months. Um, So it went through an evolution, but it was really, really, we were thinking about how do we meet customers where they are? And including myself being too lazy, don't read, can't understand why it's so complicated, nerd, right? (laughs) Like, what would I want to know? okay, so then how do we summarize? You know, we have a summary section and then we have these sections that inform- have information for later. Because that's another thing that we realized is, okay, you made the decision to buy and you just want to make sure there's nothing like, no horrible red flags or just that you should be prepared for X in a couple of years. But then in the process of like, okay, then you got to get moved in, right? You got to remodel, maybe make some changes in your unit. And then you want to get settled in and you don't want to be the person who's like, got a nasty gram. You know in your mailbox and a fine before you've even unpacked, right? It's just not a fun fun for anybody. So we include things that even matter to sort of new owners. But really like what do we what do we cut out? Well it turns out for example that often what's called the CCNRs, sort of the governing docs of a homeowners association, have a lot of stuff about the declarant who is the developer. Okay. Which once the homeowners association's been turned over to be run by the owners is irrelevant but you would never know but like like we're talking hundreds of pages of stuff that actually really don't matter so really kind of trying to distill it down so it took us probably doing 20 of these to kind of get to a basic format that we like and also to standardize the information comes in like every possible random way there's no way even an agent who represents a fair number of buyers of condos or sellers of condos a year could even try to like understand across there's email messages There's Like we've seen it all, missing pages, what looks like holes, sideways dots that are blurry because they were scanned in like 1982, right? Um, So even just trying to standardize how to think about a budget and where the money's going and what actually happened year over year, Um, and then also providing explanation. That was the other sort of realization was just telling people what the reserve levels are and, um, and what kind of study was done and who the, is not enough. So we have things like, hey, Oregon, so we're in, based in Seattle, but we have a significant amount of customers in Oregon as well. Oregon State requires that a homeowners association of a certain size or budget must have an annual audit, right? So we provide, we're trying to do lightweight teaching and then we have like links in the back and we have a glossary in the back of this report because we want it to be standalone, right? We're assuming someone's gonna keep it, use it for a while and they're gonna share it with other people. So it has to kind of move as, as a bundle. So some of it was just really also just informed by questions people would ask us. Like, where were they confused? It's still a balance of, like, how relevant is this? Um, we do a little tailoring now. Like, we ask you up front, hey, Noah, like, what things are you concerned about? And, you know, everybody's like, how healthy, financially healthy is the place that that's called it. But it can be like, hey, can I store my kayak on my deck? And so that kind of gives us insight on how to tailor it.
1: Well, well, tell me how you're progressing the product and maturing it, and, and how are you building your roadmap and figuring out, okay, this is the next most important thing to build? And I, and I imagine it's it's a mixture of a few things of standardization, feedback, answers you're getting from those questions, but I'm curious how you're going about that.
0: Well, I mean, we started with the end result, right? A high-quality, easy-to-search-and-understand report. It's sort of or, well-organized, Right. That sort of synthesizes, summarizes, and analyzes. You know, like the 900 pages you got, you get a 25-page report, of which more than five pages are just like a glossary at the back, right? Okay, with a, a table of contents. Um, so the first set of real building we've done is really just like workflow. We're a Google Workspace company, right? And Google has App Script and various uh, APIs for creating and manipulating Google Docs. So we do kind of our editing and Google Docs. There's some stuff with our website. I think we thought we were gonna be able to do more on the ordering, but it turns out that people have their documents in so many different forms and ways that that really w- was funneling folks out. If you had to give us everything up front, you don't know who we are. You're trusting us you know, with a major decision of your life. You have to pay up front and give us your docs up front. Like that was a non-starter. Plus also most real estate agents you know, their real estate agents are our best channel. They refer buyers to us, right? They work in email or phone. So we didn't automate, uh, I'd say the ordering part as much as possible, as as much as we'd like to eventually. Um, But really on workflow, just making sure we're tracking everything and we don't have to copy paste manual error. And then we have um, some code that goes and does, pulls some core data like HOAs or corporations, they're registered with their state secretary of state, different sites, different states, but that's, and we can go get information there. Like who's on, who are the governors, who's on the board, who's the registered agent and some things like, Hey, have they filed annual reports late? That's actually a sign of a problem, right? And if it's the same property management company and they filed their reports late a couple of years in a row, like the HOA is actually paying a fine. So anyway, so some stuff like, and property data, like, okay, King County, Washington state has um, a great query system. You're like, okay, there's 92 units. It was built in 1987. There's still errors in all of this stuff. (laughs) So we also sanity check it. We go pull data and then we kind of template and at least create this basic working doc. And then we have some automation that will then publish it and, and email with templates. What we're working on now, honestly, is document ingestion and analysis because it's really even just checking what Imagine if you got this huge shipping container. Okay, I'm going to switch gears for a second. And there's just all kinds of random stuff in it of different sizes, not labeled. And you got to get it to where it needs to go. Like the shipping industry would not exist if that's how it worked, right? There is a digital bill of sale. Things have codes. Okay, well, we're getting that hot mess equivalent when we get HOA information. Um, So we're really trying to figure out like what can we reliably Analyze and extract. And it takes a lot of data to do that to build a model, right? And I just said it's really hard to get HOA details. Buying is one of the few times you can get this level of detail. Um, it varies even within a particular HOA, like they change their property management, you know, so like there's not a lot of regularity. And natural language processing helps on things like meeting minutes. Um, so we're just really working on that. And honestly, the I was all gung ho because I'm, oh, I'm like, ah, oh, we can just math this. Like, yeah, we'll save human time for the judgment. Like the, okay, reserves are a bit low, but this HOA is really like just done a lot of maintenance. They're they're uh, they're up and coming. You know, like the trends are good. Like I would buy there. It's a good investment, kind of a kind of a place. Which just one fact would not tell you, right? So we want to spend our human time there. Well, it turns out that uh, like optical character recognition is actually like our single biggest problem like most of these docs are they're not searchable like they're literally scanned images and or they're signed um, because they're certifying information and um adobe's um, cloud apis actually fail or they're so large like they're we had one that was like 20 gigabytes because they had a 200-page reserve study report which had pictures of every single part of the complex, <laughs> like they were five fidelity, um, and tables is, is a challenge. But that's what we're really trying to work on, is like, how can we speed up, um, simplify, and make less error-prone finding basic facts out, like kind of analyzing these documents? And then the other thing would be geographical differences. There's different sites in different counties where documents and information is recorded. And so there's a lot of, I've learned a lot about web scraping. I'll just, I'll leave it there.
1: I, I would imagine that. And I would imagine OCR is incredibly difficult, um, with the, all the different types of documents you're working with. Cause I mean, if you're OCRing a standard format, you know where to look, but if every document's different, it's, it's all just the wild, wild west.
0: Right. And then you have things like if I wanted to I think it'd be a simple question, does this place allow pets? It might be animal. It might be dog. So there's variants. Right. And you're going to let's say you can search like we've made all of this information searchable. That's something that we do um, for ourselves. You might find 20 references. How do you arbitrate among the conflicts? Like there might be an out of date resolution that says we don't permit pit bulls. There might be an amendment later that allows pit bulls. There might be an amendment that says the board can decide. And and so even arbitrating what should be straightforward is, um, or reasoning across it is a little complicated, but we're working on it.
1: Let's switch to team. So how are you going about building your team? And what do you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you?
0: I'm going to answer that question generally before I answer for Uplift Group. Um, I have always had this philosophy that if you're, want to work with me, you're obviously incredibly smart, one of the chosen people, and we should find a way to leverage that, um, if at all possible. So like, I I think it's kind of ironic, you know, if people are like, well, why are kind of snobby about people that want to work with them? You're like, okay, this person thinks you're great and you think they're stupid for thinking you're great. (laughs) Like there's something weird about that. And in a startup, you got to beg, borrow, steal anyway, right? So anybody who's willing to, to help, you know, at a affordable price is worth considering. We're not hiring yet. We just have, we have two um, humanoid employees and six furry employees, chaos cat testers. And then in an, an summer intern, whose last week is next week, her name is Hanai. She's a senior in high school and uh, you know 17 going on 27. And her dog, who's our dog intern, also for some diversity. We realized we were you know too many cats in the company. We have been unbelievably lean, partly because, well, my co-founder is my mom. Carol, the person who helped me buy my condo, and she's a domain expert and a data scientist, so it's like a perfect combination. Um, but we're Scots Irish, I'm Scots Irish and Polish, okay? So I can say this, although someone else trying to say this might get into trouble, incredibly cheap people on both sides of my family history. And my grandfather was proud of, like, you know, being sick from an ear infection because he didn't, and not having spent $5 to go to the doctor to get antibiotics, I <laughs> mean, like that kind of cheap, right? Um, and I also, I mean, I come from a big company from Microsoft and it's very easy and very natural to just like throw resources at problems, right? You're like, yeah, okay, let's just put a thousand people on, you know, and you know, mythical man month, it doesn't always work, but it doesn't tell you that you have something people really want. We were convicted that we were going to put $10,000 total to, to create this company. And that was going to cover incorporation, corporation, our software and so on. And if we couldn't get somebody who doesn't know us and isn't related to us, to pay us for something we're doing, then we're not delivering value. It's a real test. I mean, we started getting revenue second half of last year. Really it was Q4. The last quarter of the calendar year is a little slow for real estate. So our business, the majority of the revenue we've ever earned, and we just passed $10,000 last week, has been the past six months. So February until now. We wanted to do about 100 of these resale reviews. So then we could kind of step back and say, hey we have something how do we scale it like what's the thing that we can extract from this add on to it and then we knew we'd need to raise to hire unless we could come up with something that's one of these wonderful games where you build it once and then like money just spills in fortnite like we're going to need to raise money to hire and we take that pretty seriously like do we have something worth raising for so we haven't hired anybody yet
1: So how are you approaching scalability, even in these early days when you're trying to trying to figure out how it all even buttons together?
0: COVID has changed calculus a lot, at least in Seattle, because we had early lockdown, really started in the beginning of March. I think the people I know did one of two things, either hunkered down and said, there's so much uncertainty in the world and I just need, like, my life just got crazy complex, like my kids are home and I just need to like keep paying my bills and have health insurance. Or they went crazy early. They're like, ah, okay, the world's on fire. I'm gonna go be a monk in Tibet now, right? And so it's just starting to kind of, I think, pick up again where people with some experience, I think probably kids coming out of college or really young, early in career different, but are starting to think about, okay, I hate my job or I wanna do something different. Okay, can I manage the risk of it? But I'd say, you know, there was a year in there where like if we had, been around a year sooner we probably would have been more a little bit more aggressive on it but I personally have a hard time like I have to if I sell somebody something I have to believe it I have to believe it's good for them not just for me if I could sell people on stuff I didn't believe in I'd be an actor you know I'd be in a different business so serving customers comes first it's always our P zero right that interrupts everything so it's really hard to do big things Um, we were crazy busy in April It was a busy real estate period in general seattle's a hot market and then you had this like extra wall of water of pent-up demand from COVID, right so we didn't do anything big it's just like survive and then try to fix you know my small bugs and make small improvements in the moment usually we look at like okay what was really annoying or what caused us the most problems in the past like three reviews for example so there's i'd say you know a budget for that right like just kind of okay streamlining our process okay can we get rid of some steps why are we why does someone have to type this in over here and then have to type it in over there again? And that's just sort of, I call that it's almost just ongoing um, in-stream in the product. The big thing we're really working on now is, okay, so resale review is great. It does a lot of different things. It meets buyers and their agents where they are. You know, crazy, busy, stressed, and, and whatever they need, you know, we're there to help them on, you know, all things about the HOA. But that's late. We have seen of the reviews that we have done, a fair number, first of all, people care about just really basic things. Like, can I have my dog? Can I barbecue? I'm buying this place to live in, but I might be getting married. And you know, like, can I rent my unit? Like, what does it take, right? And would it financially make sense? That's, we can give them data. We can't answer that last question. We can give them data. So can we produce something that people can use sooner? It's expensive to make an offer. Say you make an offer and then you back out of buying a condo or a townhouse because of something you found in the HOA materials. I can't even estimate how much time the buyer has spent, but they will have spent at least $1,000 on like a property inspection, on document fees and so on. That's separate from closing costs. And the agent will have spent 20 to 30 hours. So to fail late for a stupid reason is really not efficient, right? So we're trying to think, what can we, can we produce if we're really going to be the carfax of condos you should be able to find out info about an hoa before you make an offer so we're really thinking about how to build that because that's a lot more scalable everything we're doing there will also help our resale reviews right because we already know a lot of stuff about the place we just sort of front loaded some of the information and we think it's um, attractive to more people sell side could be interesting as well like sellers and list sellers agents answer a lot of I don't want to say stupid, but just like the same common questions about potential buyers. You're, you're busy, right? You don't get paid unless the place sells. You know, to get the same question from 10 potential buyers, like, can I have my pet, is just kind of not ideal. So we're thinking about pieces of this that are useful more broadly. You know, make don't take as much time, don't cost as much, but also help more folks and potentially even HOA boards, because they're also the people that have to deal with questions, right? And if you're a buyer and you haven't bought, you're not even really like someone that a board owners have responsibility to yet and you're busy right it's like uh, i don't have time for these
1: questions so as you step out on the balcony you look across what you've built with uplift group what are you most proud of
0: i'd say the thing i'm most proud of is also probably my achilles heel right now i am really proud that we didn't muscle our way to our business sure we leaned on friends and family to do research on we didn't guilt anybody that has ever worked for us or with us or is related to us to pay us that people are hiring us who don't know us are live in a different state a different county and are trusting us to be help them with like one of the biggest moments of their life. And condo buyers you know these tend to be more, more likely than a house to be a first-time buyer and be going through a life change either they're young and they're moving or they're retiring right? So it's like there's even more on the line. There's more risk and more involved in what they're buying. So I'm really proud of that and that people refer friends, agents refer other customers to us. And we've done zero, like zero marketing. Well, that's not true. We use the $25 like free Google ad credit. Um, and then spend another on ads. And actually, what, all we found, and I mean, we're talking $100 total spent on ads, was that pretty much everybody was coming in through that with someone who's already looking for us and they were just clicking the top. So we're like, why are we spending money to, to pay for people already looking for us? Okay, we did some social media stuff, I mean, that's it. Condo buyers, condo owners don't like, it's not like there's some fun club that people want to hang out in, right? You're like, oh yeah, condo club, yeah. So I'm really just really proud that we have real value real customers and we didn't go like Uber our way to that so we way we found it's called it product market fit like way easier than i thought we would
1: what let's flip the script a little bit tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it or you and your co-founder responded to it
0: I had so many mistakes i mean i'm not going to beat myself up about cases where we made a judgment call we had to make a decision in a time window we had the data we had, and you know it was like fifty-five, forty-five, and it just didn't work out a particular way. I think we we, have, we hung on to the helping HOAs and boards idea for way too long, and we still haven't quite let go of it. Okay, it is where our heart actually is. What happened in Miami just amplified that, because there's lots of people out there that are and lawyers and consultants are like, oh, well, obviously, you should just pass a new law in Florida, or obviously the owners were stupid, or obviously the board was, and it was none of those things. It's way more complicated than that. So why is it so hard for HOAs to be healthy and to stay healthy? And it's amazing, it doesn't take a lot for things to go south pretty fast, right? You get one new owner in who's like, well, I didn't know I couldn't have my dog on the roof, and they get mad, and like, it really can create some really bad vibes really quickly, right? And that's where our heart is. But you can't, you have to, if we're going to raise and we're going to be a business, you have to focus, 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 focus. And HOAs are complicated. There's lots of entities. There's board members, there's owners, there's buyers, there's sellers, there's real estate agents, there's property managers, there's lenders, there's HOA insurers, there's, you know, property insurers for the unit. I mean, like there's maintenance. I mean, it's like everybody under the sun, right? And they're all a part of this puzzle, but we have to pull on only one thread. So it really took us, probably spent six months longer than we should have, kind of trying to have our cake and eat it too, before realizing we've really just got to focus on the beginning of the condo journey, which is buying. Someone buys and they're unhappy. There's no way this HOA can be sustainably healthy. I mean, yeah, one person in a thousand, right? So let's really focus there. In fact, even our website still has, I think, one product or one service that we offer to boards. We'll get rid of it when the time is right. Yeah. And maybe the second is just not spending enough, spending money um, when we ought to. Like, hey, we've got Signal. Like, why are we not spending money to go advertise like in real estate journals and stuff? Or go spend the $500 to be part of like the Community Association Institute or something. So maybe also being too cheap.
1: You're scrappy, right? That's not, not too cheap. You're scrappy. You're not. But I get it. You have Signal. You need to go pour some gas on the fire kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And then what does it take to do that? And I'd say the third, uh, actually, I wouldn't say it's a mistake. The third thing would be more advice about, I wish we had joined accelerator programs, startup programs, incubators sooner. COVID made that kind of impossible anyway, but it wouldn't have been in our DNA. So I think that's where the professional contrarian, like all things, your superpowers are also your kryptonites usually, right?
1: And you touched on this a bit when we were talking about some of the scalable things, but I kind of want to kind of want to bring it into one succinct answer. So tell me what the future looks like for the product and for your team. What I hope the future looks like
0: is we finish our kind of proof of concept on this sort of, call it HOA listing service, where you can go get some basic facts about an HOA that are trustworthy without having to make an offer. And I say trustworthy because, and this is not sissing, there are tons and tons of like SEO scraping sites that go extract data. And like every single one of these we've seen is wrong. I mean, Redfin doesn't do web scraping, but even the information that agents do put in the listings isn't even accurate. It's not their fault. It's just complicated. right? Okay. And then we we go get some significant percent of the HOAs in King County, where our home base, to want to be a part of this. So we're not swimming upstream, right? We're not in conflict with boards or property managers. And then we just start to drive that, right? Like it's a marketplace effectively of for information. Um, and that we raise, now we have like proof of concept, we have some traction, um, we can see how we can scale this thing effectively. We go raise money and then we go hire some some more people, including like a third and maybe fourth co-founder. Because we don't want this to just be like the mom and daughter show, right? I, have, I probably sit on the boundary of product and tech for this particular problem. Um, And my CEO is the domain expert. Um, A real CTO or somebody that just has a lot of expertise in national language processing and data. Maybe we need, and a data scientist would be. And then we go expand on this thing. Like there should be across, like there's no reason why we couldn't go get all 355,000 homeowners associations in the United States. That's just not that hard. It's not a big problem. Not a big number, I should say. And we become the place. This is the place, of course you go here. Every single person who's thinking about buying a condo, of course you go here to look. And of course you know that you should get a resale review. You know your rights. And you know you get what you actually paid for. You paid $275 in Washington State or more if you're a seller to get a resale certificate, which is a package of the HOA's docs plus a cover sheet. And most of the ones we've seen are crap. People are not even leading. And Washington State's one of the best states in the nation for this. So just imagine how how much it sucks for I mean, for everybody else so that like we just we just cut down and then HOA horror stories just start to go down. Cuz I'm sure that a third of the HOA horror stories are really just someone just didn't know.
1: So let's switch to you, Laura. Who influences the way that you work? I mean name a person that you look up to and why.
0: Well, obviously my CEO and co-founder. She is even scrappier than I am. Um she brings balance and sort of mathematical economic rigor tend to be a little bit more like lead with the heart. And she's like, okay, I need to like write this down and think about it. We're both introverts in different ways. So she influences me a lot. Julie Larson Green, who used to be a senior vice president at Microsoft and then was the chief experience officer at Qualtrics, is a huge role model. Probably because I'll never be that cool. But the things she's great at are subtle and I will always be working on. Number one, she just brings balance to every situation. Like you've been in engineering arguments, like, you know, they get pretty heated, right? And you almost get this like bad harmonic motion, like where people get angry and then they become like animal brain. And she's someone who just kind of cools the situation down to the right temperature. So it's not explosion, you know, and also makes hard things seem easier just kind of uncommon common sense. When something seemed really impossible or trying to boil the ocean, Just kind of like, okay, so you said that the uh, ordering process is too hard. Okay, how could you make it easier? Like really incredible. So she's someone who influences me. Um, Brad Silverberg, who was the head of Windows 95 and then went on to create um, Ignition, which was a mobile focused venture capital company. Just how he holds the line on principles and really gets teams to rally behind him including people that don't work for him, didn't work for him, right? That's leadership. You get people that don't have to do what you say to want to be a part of it and support it, then you're on to something. And then honestly, the other influences which get back to like my life. Um in no particular order, Bugs Bunny, Star Trek, Star Wars, and Miss Piggy. Like Muppet show. Probably 95% of who I am is like some DNA cross of all those things like like, okay, Bugs Bunny slash bad James Bond villain. Like, it's not enough to get the gun. I have to tell you, Elmer Fudd, about like why you were wrong and then get myself into trouble. And Star Wars, rebellion, right? In fact, I would even put my life, like I talk about my life in kind of movie terms, like Rogue One and New Hope, anyway. And Star Trek because of just this idea that you can, the whole point of tech is like the human side of it and that you can use reasoning and math and, and solve problems and a society and create a society that's that's better than the one that came before. And Miss Piggy, because you know what, everyone who doesn't want to wear fabulous clothes, speak French, and karate chop someone who's annoying? Who doesn't want to do that? Yeah, the talking's great, but every once in a while like a yeah, karate chop.
1: Well, if you could go back to the beginning, either in uplift group or even along your career. That would be interesting, too. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: That is so hard to say because, you know, there's episteme and there's techne. There's sort of theoretical knowledge, episteme. And then there's hands-on knowledge, techne, from Greek. Of course, now we think technology, we think of this ethereal thing, right? I don't understand something unless I actually go through it. Like you can tell me that the stove's hot and it's going to burn me, but like I don't, it doesn't stick unless I touch it, right? So a lot of these things, they wouldn't have stuck and I wouldn't be the person that I am if I hadn't kind of made mistakes and done things differently. I mean, I think the biggest realization we've had with Uplift Group, or at least I've had with startups, is it is really, really, really almost impossible to build a tech startup on your own. Okay? Like, you can have a direct to consumer business, like a small bit bu- and small businesses are hard in general, right? And then use internet tools to get more customers and sort of scale that at a way that will pay you a salary, right? And maybe if you're lucky, you can build like platform, like developer platform stuff. And almost all of those things get built by people who have a job anyway, right? It's like their side hustle, and then it turns into a thing. Everything else, it takes not just money, but it takes expertise. I don't know how to ask, it's not that I don't mind asking people for help. I don't think about it in words. So by the time I can put it into words what I need, I've kind of almost solved my problem. (laughs) So I would seriously have, if we could go back in time, like really pushed harder to to join programs, not just community where you can compare notes because that also matters a lot, right? You can look at someone else's pitch deck or how they're thinking about a problem and get insight from it. But really accelerated and incubated, like gotten a support system around the company. I think it's just so hard. And then if you start to have success, it's also hard because then you can't go, how do you go higher, right? You die of starvation you die of indigestion. So I don't think I understood how important and valuable those things are. And I know there's a lot about like, oh, I would never give up 10% of my company to some experts. It's like, well, you know, 100% of zero is zero. Better have 50% of something than 100% of nothing, right? But it's also, I mean, there's bad ones, but the good ones that it really, really matters. And it explains a lot. I'm a privileged person. I, mean, I was an executive at Microsoft. I was a vice president at Microsoft, right before I left, and I'm struggling. Like it really explains a lot about the imbalance of companies and investment, tech, and then the problems that get solved. Because of course, you work on things you understand, usually, right? And so, like, how do we how do we make it a lot easier for anybody to 3D print their idea? I mean, there's a lot of things that have have incredible things have happened like Shopify and Stripe and Low Code, Squarespace, GoDaddy, Bubble, it Stripe Atlas for incorporation. But there's just a lot more that could be done. Because I think it would be like that's the world I want to live in where somebody in Nairobi has, has an idea and has a problem and they understand that problem and they can 3D print a solution to that problem that, you know, brings meaning to their life, gives them, you know, economic benefits and more.
1: Well, last question, Laura. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit?
0: Really focus on the why. Why does this matter to you? You're gonna spend your life, like a couple years of your life on this thing. Why does it matter to you? Like, what is it feeding in your soul? Why does it matter to other people? Why is it making the world a better place? If you're just shifting money from one group to another, that can make the world a better place. But if you're just taxing flows of money and flows of goods, are you making the world a better place? Like, why is this making the world a better place? Why is it bringing freedom, one or more of time, quality of life, freedom freedom or happiness to people? Why do they need it? Okay, Who needs it? Because if you can't answer the why, you can't really answer the who. And the who is your customers, right? So really spend time, not why is it cool. And it's okay if it's, hey, why it matters is it's a platform improvement that indirectly does those things I just said. But really, 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 really think about the why. The why is more important than the how or the what. And also, why is it so important that you're not going to be tied to any particular implementation or solution? Because If you really believe in this thing, right, you believe in this problem and you believe it needs to be solved then I should have less ego in the how it's being done. So I would say, really, really think about the why.
1: That's great advice. Well, Laura, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Uplift Group.
0: Thank you for having me on the show and live long and prosper to um, all the listeners. And may the force be with you.
1: And this concludes another chapter of Code Story.